You're listening to Transplaner RPG, an all-transgender, people-of-color-led, dark-fantasy actual play channel set in an original non-colonial, anti-orientalist multiverse. The Chaos Protocol is our second main campaign and stars Valiant Dorian, Kai Kay, and Sam Starr as players, with C. Thomas as the producer and Connie Chong as the game master. Transplaner RPG is sponsored by Explain Trade, a negotiation skills training consultancy whose director, Dimitri Opines, has asked us to say, and I quote, Please sign up for Transplaner's Patreon, because at some point people will figure out he's a cisgender white guy failing upward, and then he'll be too broke to sponsor us. We love you, Dimitri, and thank you so much for supporting our work. Content warnings for this episode include fantasy violence, fire, immolation, environmental collapse, heights, flying, Falling, body horror, complex and complicated relationships, romance, grief, and death of loved ones. Arc 1, Episode 19, Freezes Warmth, from Self-Eulogy of a Martyr by Connie Chong. The Raya is a blaze. Fire licks up the salted trunks of saint-bloom trees. Flames ensconce clusters of crabweed and lackey thorn, jumping from vine to vine in crimson sparks. The air is thick with smoke, heavy and black and oily like the inside of a war machine. The destruction is unfathomable. The fragile petals of phosphor blossoms curl in agony, rotting to ash within seconds of contracting the blaze. Even the succulents, the cacti, the desert-dwelling brush with hardy, heat-resistant stems are on fire, their arms drooping with the weight of death. Death. Ash. Oil. Flame. Lumira, as you push out of a side door, leading away from Aminu Hall, a wall of heat smashes into you. It's like you've entered one of the rings of some infernal hell, and this fire is endless. All you see is flame and ash and smoke and oil, and then you are eight years old. You are running through a hallway and there is bedlam around you and there is destruction and there is apocalypse and the floor beneath your tiny feet is made of colored glass. And then you're back in the garden, back in the present, surrounded by burning, burning leaves. How do you push yourself through this choking smoke toward the hanging gardens? I think Lumira takes off the vest that she's wearing the the suit jacket and kind of makes a makeshift like mask and ties the arms around her face, just has the coat hanging from her mouth lowering down to kind of stop some of the smoke. She can't do anything about her eyes, so she'll try to keep her head down as best as possible as she just barrels towards the gardens. You tighten the fabric migraine tight, tourniquet tight around your ears and you barrel through that smoke toward the place where you promised you would watch over the vegetation of the wild sea. Your promise, your oath, swelling in your chest like a ball of light. And then there is movement. 
on your periphery as you start to stumble into the garden itself, the burning trees, the burning leaves, the blossoms going up in an incandescent blaze movement. A shadow wicking into existence. And then you see it, as you always do, as it always comes to you in times of calamity, times of disaster. The Drifter. They are a dark, blurred, vaguely humanoid silhouette, a figure of pure darkness punched out of reality. The edges of their form are unstable. They flicker and they glitch like a ghost caught in static. The drifter raises a limb, an arm, you think, and points a hand, yes, hand in your direction, and you freeze instantly. Your muscles physically harden, your nerves seize, your heart clutches, your blood stills. And then you begin to levitate. Three feet, eight feet, 16 feet into the air and a handful of inches to the left. Or maybe it's the world that's lurching down past your feet, 16 feet beneath you, a handful of inches to the right. You see an outline of the world where it should be a ghostly afterimage superimposed over the tangible fire that continues to rage like a phantom's tracing of the burning gardens. It's as though your vision has doubled and shifted, or maybe you're the one who's doubled and shifted, or maybe it's the world that's doubled and shifted. You are suspended in some kind of bubble blown out of reality and a little bit to the left of it. And you can't escape. You are frozen. What do you do? I think even though she's frozen, it still does not stop her instinct to try to fight it as much as possible. So I think it's just a bunch of frustrated grunts and growls of like, get me out! I have something to do. I don't have time for this. And is just frustratingly shaking. Your voice turns guttural, growling, desperate, like a trapped, cornered animal inside the sphere. You don't have time for this. Whatever this is, you need to go. You have a mission in mind, but it's so hard. It's like you're trying to push through not even quicksand, but cement solidifying around you, or maybe the cement is inside you. You can't quite move your limbs, and the words are choking past gritted, frozen teeth. Lumira, this is the longest the drifter has lingered in a moment with you, and this is the only and first time that they've actually interacted with you. Every other time, they've vanished, basically as soon as they've appeared. It almost feels like you're in some kind of dream or some terrible, faraway nightmare as the drifter does something in response to your struggling that they have never done before. They speak. Their voice is garbled, strange, distant, like it's coming from the bottom of an endless well passing through layers and layers of storm clouds to reach you traveling through a hundred different radio signals to be heard. 
And yet the voice cuts as cleanly and as clearly as the edge of a broken diamond. No, you cannot save them. What the hell do you mean I cannot save them? You cannot save them. And there is an acerbic edge to their voice now, something toxic and poisonous and cold and cutting and resolute. I beg to differ. Then you will beg until the end of time. Who are you to tell me what my job is? Who are you to try and try and fail? You know nothing about me, nor my capabilities. Let me down. And the drifter makes a strange, garbled, staticky noise. You don't know exactly. It's not words, and then it clicks. They're laughing. But it's a humorless, dead, drained kind of laugh. You can even tell through the static it is a cold laugh. And then... None of this matters. You are a liar. I was assigned a job. A job I intend to fulfill and complete. Nothing stops me. So I suggest you put me down or feel what it is I can do. The drifter regards you without eyes, without a mouth, without a nose. They're just a silhouette. They're just a dark outline. That's all they are. That's all they've ever been. And yet, in your heart of hearts, you know that their expression, if they even have a face to make expressions with, is impassive. You are not ready. They raise their arm again, but this time their palm clenches into a fist. As soon as they do, Lumira, your pupils blow wide. Adrenaline surges through your blood. The hair on your arms raise and stiffen, and you collapse into yourself. You fall back into yourself, and you are seeing a vision of a woman, a young woman with dark brown skin and dark brown hair, rushing forward into the flames of the garden around you without a care for herself. You see this woman desperately trying to staunch the flames, not caring that she's being burned, not caring that the fire is eating her skin. This woman is you, Lumira seconds into what would have been the future. The drifter twists their hand once more, precisely clockwise, and now you see yourself staggering into the banquet hall, covered in burns and blood and ash, your lungs choking with smoke. You see yourself collapse in front of a gasping King Masu, his brown skin pallid with sweat. You see yourself try to summon your healing magic, but the gum has been burnt to ash, and your hands are shaking, and your body is so spent. You try over and over and over and over to heal King Maswu, to save him from the brink of death, and you fail over and over and over and over until King Maswu draws his last breath and dies. You see 
Zumarud, Jadir, and Amin al-Yakut sink to their knees, wailing in grief over their husband, screaming themselves hoarse. And you see a bossy, a bossy slumping over her father's unmoving body, a bossy catatonic, breathing shallowly, her heart forever broken. The drifter twists their hand again precisely, counterclockwise, and now you're back in the garden, back in the past, no, the present, as the fire continues to rage. And then it clicks inside you what this is, what these visions are. They are a premonition of what will occur if you continue down this path. You will save the garden, yes, but you will be hurt permanently injured, and you will fail to save the king. And the drifter is the one showing you all of this. Lumira, who once was fighting with all of her might, it slows down to a stop where she's limp. The watching herself frantically trying her hardest and everything she could, but it just wasn't enough. That consistent failure to do what needs to be done to do her job, her calling. She just stops and goes silent and still. Her eyes are confused and wild at the same time, not really knowing where to focus her attentions. Why would you show me this? Because you will fail. Go down this path, the king will die. But really, it doesn't matter. None of this matters. There's got to be something I can do. So maybe I didn't do it right the first time. There is another way. There is always another way. Another way. Another way. You think you are strong enough to find another way? I am. You're not. You don't know me. You. And the drifter is also left in the air 18 feet above the world, with the world 18 feet below them, they float toward you, this figure cut out of the journey, this black silhouette of a person. Are they even a person? They come closer to this sphere out of reality that you're suspended in, close to you, as close as a punched out hole in reality can be to you. And it seems like they're about to say something, something crucial, when movement catches both of your attention. The world around the two of you has continued to move this entire time. It continues to burn as you're struggling with the drifter. Fire keeps raging, smoke keeps pluming upward. And then you see, surfacing out of the smoke, Sing. She's injured. Her right shoulder is bleeding, like something punched through it, and she is limping. 
and there are scorch marks on her skin, on her clothes, but she's here, she's alive. Her pink eyes are looking around desperately searching for you. And then Sing cocks her head up as though on a whim, as though on instinct, and she sees you. Sing makes direct eye contact with you, but something's wrong. She's not looking at you, Lumira. She is looking through you. Inside this frozen bubble, you are inaccessible by those upon the plane you just left. For a single moment, Sing stands there, her brow furrowed, looking right at you like she's two seconds away from figuring it out. And then she shakes her head, she turns, and she vanishes back into the smoke, calling out your name. As Sing leaves, you notice that the drifter has cut themselves off. They are looking in her direction. This darkened silhouette of their head cocked to one side. They pause there, levitating in midair right next to you, staring off after Sing for a heartbeat. And then they yank their featureless gaze back at you. And now there is renewed intensity in the way they speak, the jagged edges of their voice cutting into the smoky air between you. If you insist upon playing the hero, then play the hero. Break out of the liminal. If you succeed, then perhaps you are strong enough to have it all. But when you fail, let the taste of your failure drive you and never fail again. Lumira, how do you try breaking out of this so-called liminal? Do I have free movement in this bubble itself that I myself am in currently? You are frozen. You can try to muscle your way out. Or you can try to take a moment and observe what's around you. Or both. I'm going to take a moment. Actually, I like that idea. I might do a little bit of both. I'm going to take a moment to observe around. Lumira has, like, surgical precision in her sight. Right, like she has to be able to quickly locate what is wrong and focus directly on that. And I think what her eyes are doing is a wild frantic across this bubble, like almost as if she's reading a book from right to left consistently every line of this bubble. She's trying to find just the slightest glimmer of a glitch or a weakness in this bubble that can be exploited. Absolutely. That sounds to me like sharps and study, but you can swing a different (laughs) combination at me. Yeah, definitely sharps and a study for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll agree with that. Go for it. How many dice is that? That is a three dice. I'm going to need you to cut two for difficulty. Okay, Connie, I will cut two for difficulty. Four? That is a conflict. So that means a success with a drawback. So you're frozen there, right? Time continues to tick 
by as you're there. Every action you take, more of the garden burns around you, right? As you're taking this in, you notice that beautiful Saint Bloom tree crumble like a pillar of salt and turn to ash from the intensity of the blaze. That's the drawback. It takes you a while. The success is, yes, you start to realize what this is, what a liminal is. As you look around at this translucent sphere about you, it's kind of like a soap bubble, right? You can still see what's on the outside, but there are glistening somethings on the edges of this sphere, with a four, not quite enough to know exactly what it is, but you do know the general thrust of it. The drifter has pulled you out of time. You're not frozen because there's a neurotoxin or something in your body, you're frozen in time. But they haven't pulled you out of space. So your body is suspended in time, but it still occupies the same location as time continues around you. That's what you learn about what this liminal is. Which is why Sing saw through me and not directly at me. I'm going to attempt to stretch and break free, uh, at least grab loose one of my limbs. Sure. Are you using like sheer determination and willpower? Sheer determination, willpower, and goddamn grit. Just... (laughs) Yep, goddamn The return of the grit ma. Okay, so that's gonna be either iron or teeth, I think. For the edge? I'm gonna take iron. I'll definitely take iron. And break would be the most applicable skill, but you can sell me on another. You can try. It's just gonna be iron and break, which I have nothing in. So that'll be so, so fun for me. <laughs> okay. Everything's going fine, guys. That's another four. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that is a conflict. That is a partial success. A uh, success with a drawback. I'm gonna get rid of this die and grab another one. <laughs> Screw this D6. So time continues to pass around you as you struggle. It feels like you're moving through molasses more than that. Again, it's like you're encased in concrete. It takes you every single ounce of focus, every single ounce of energy and determination to even try to move like two inches of a single limb. So what body part are you trying to move first? I'm trying to move my right leg because what I'm imagining she's trying to do is to use the point of her toe to dig into a weak part of the bubble and just try to continue to dig in it and take advantage of that weak spot till it breaks. Mm, Yeah, your right leg, you're like focusing all of your attention on the lower half of your body and you're trying to dig out your heel, trying to move your toe, trying, trying. And then you feel a little bit of give through sheer force of will, Lumira. Nothing fancy, nothing medical, nothing logical, just sheer fucking force of will. You start to move your right leg and you see your own knee shift, like erratically, it jerks up by an inch. And the drifter outside the liminal cocks their head to one side as they see you move even slightly. And that's when you notice on the corner of your eye, those beautiful clusters of crabweed and surgeon's moss that Tamit Sula had packed your satchel full of erupt in fire. The flames have spread. They've ensconced almost the entire garden by now, burning to ash around you even as you struggle. The only thing that remains in the center of the garden 
are those rose trellises that you and Sing walked past what feels like a lifetime ago. The last part of the hang gardens that still stands. You move, ah, your leg, half an inch, another inch, two inches, but it's so jerky and erratic and you can't quite build up the momentum to punch your foot down or up or out, but you've moved it just a little bit on a hinge. And the drifter, their head still cocked to one side. You see now those two limbs, arms, yes, crossed in front of a pure, shadowy, dark chest. Is that all you have? Is that all the willpower you can muster? Don't you want to play the hero? Don't you want to save everyone? Save them. In her will we trust. And Lumira kicks out again with every single bit of her might wildly, or attempting to as much as she can, wildly thrashing in spot, trying to continue to break her entire body free to get to that spot that she just sees glimmering out of her peripheral. Her will. Let me show you the power that eludes you when you are so busy obsessing over her will. And the drifter uncrosses their arms, raises a hand, and again clenches those fingers into a fist. And that leg that had been working itself into a wider and wider arc, getting more and more momentum, freezes as the knee is drawn halfway up toward your chest, it freezes in place and you see those seams, those patterns, you don't exactly see what they are, but they flash on the bubble, on the surfaces of the bubble around you for a half second, just for a second and they're gone as the magic and the power pulses. Yes, the power, there is such immense power, Lumira, that the drifter commands and they're able to just wield it so efficiently, so organically, so naturally, that hand clenched into a fist and now you're frozen all over again. Like every ounce of willpower and sweat and blood that you poured into freeing your leg was worth nothing. Who hurt you? Why are you continuously making the calling that I have that much harder? Everywhere I turn, every time I close my eyes, Since I was a child, you have been there and left me alone. Why now? Why speak to me now when I have something important that requires my assistance? This, this, this isn't it. This is the wrong one. Pardon me. And then a sharp, long exhale. The exhale of someone who's been working on a project, but no, this is the wrong piece. This is the wrong mechanism. Not a sigh of desperation or even anger or even frustration, but a sigh of exhaustion. And when the drifter is done sighing, they look back up to you with that faceless face. And when they speak, their words are tinged with the closest thing to softness that they have shown you this entire time. Not like that, child. 
Do not call me a child. I'm a full-grown adult. What do you mean, wrong one? Like this. And the drifter holds out their hand. They unclench it. They spider it outward to see five fingers, and they plunge those fingers into the walls of the liminal. And spidering outward from their fingers, you see again lighting up the patterns on the surface of the liminal, and you realize what they are. At first, you think they're seams, just a bunch of cracks or seams along the liminal, but that's not exactly right. They're gears, the gears of a clock interlocked with each other, melded into perfect form, not a single crack between those seams. But then the drifter twitches their hand upward and slightly to the side, guiding your eyes to the direction of a hairline gap between two gears. There, do you see it? I think for a second, as the gears are clicking into place, Lumira's eyes are watching each one and her eyes won't leave a gear until it clicks directly into place before it pops over into another one before she actually follows each clicking gear up to the tear there between the one in the top left and the middle find the weakness and push through focus mirror all of your energy on that crack on that gap on that weakness in the room. Find the weakness and push. The mirror will push through it. She'll climb up through the gears itself. And right before she pushes through, she stops. Her foot is halfway through it. And she looks back down at the drifter, trying to make out whatever it was, whatever they are and her eyebrow quirks up. I never gave you my name. How do you know my name? There is much you do not understand. Now come out of the liminal all the way and step into the power you were always meant to have. Quickly, fully, no compromises. There's no room for error. She was skeptical till that last line. There's no room for error. That rings true to her consistently, and she will shake her head and step the rest of the way through. You break through the weakness in the liminal that the drifter showed you with a strange kind of softness, a pitying almost kind of softness, but still they showed it to you, and the liminal bursts around you. It pops like a soap bubble would, and for a fraction of a second you are suspended in the air above the burning gardens, 18 feet up there, thrown out of time back into space. And as you do, Lumira, what symbol emblazons itself across your skin, revealing a birthmark that's always been there, but now in sharp, heightened focus. Lumira clutches at her chest. It stains and it sits directly between her rib cage, right at her breastbone and sits right directly in the middle there along her sternum. And 
she starts to pull at the shirt itself. It's just that line of stinging where it is just starting to become painful, but is mainly irritating, but doesn't hurt just yet. It's right there on the border. And those same clock gears from the liminal space that she crawled up to go through that fabric in the liminal appears on her chest engraved across the marble of her skin here in gold. Mm. And it reaches up to the top of her chest right where that childhood scar that she has on her shoulder sits. And the scar sits in between the clock gears, like the tear in the liminal space that she crawled out of. Yes, you levitate there for a half a heartbeat as this light sears itself, illuminating the birthmark across your chest with that scar cutting through perfectly. And as that mark solidifies upon your body, Lumira, that slight pain, not quite pain, mounts until it fully begins to hurt. Not just hurt, very quickly as the light continues to settle in and sear itself across your skin. It is agony. This is immense pain, so much pain that it punches the breath out of your lungs. You gasp, you feel your heart beating quickly, adrenaline surging, your body starting to go into shock from how much pain there is, but this pain is not despair. It is the necessary pain that accompanies becoming. You are breaking yourself apart so you can come back together again. And the drifter says to you, Do not shy away from the pain. Embrace it. This is the pain of a star forming. And then this searing pain gradually, gradually, gradually begins to die down as you start to float down toward the ground. And by the time your knees sink into the soil, this symbol has stopped glowing, has stopped burning, but it remains there permanently on your skin, under your clothes, visible to you, etched over your heart. I think Lumira sits in the dirt and sinks her hands deep into the ash and the soil, meaning to feel the soil around her fingertips again as she's panting heavily trying to catch her breath and at this point her hair that was straightened and nice has now curled back into its natural state and there's one random errant curl that is just sticking out messily that is all white. And it's never, that curl has never been white before. As you pant there, still reeling from the pain of becoming, your body changed in slight, but crucial ways. You notice at first the silence. 
streets of the gardens around you. It's what strikes you most immediately. There's no thunderous roar of fire. There are no billowing plumes of smoke. As you start to raise your eyes and cast your gaze across the gardens, all you see around you is ash. Even that rose garden, those flower trellises that you took Sing through, ash. You broke out of the liminal with the drifter's help, but you did it too late. The hanging gardens are gone. Lumira, who is still on her hands and knees, just drops her forehead to the ground, face first in ash, and she just slumps in it. You have a moment by yourself, slumped in the ash, your cheeks smeared with the bone-white grist of it. And then you hear someone approaching you from the side. And then you see them on your periphery. It's Tamit Sula, the head gardener of the Raya. And they are covered in scorch marks, but they're still standing, still moving. Their cheeks are wet with tears. They are staggering a little, quite unevenly, but they're leaning on an ambulating octodew for support. Tilly's tentacles are singed, and there are burn marks on the rubbery green vegetative sides of their body, but Tilly looks otherwise unharmed. And Tamit calls out as soon as they see you. Ah! Lumira! You're safe! Oh, good, good, you're safe. I'm so glad. The garden... The garden is gone. And Tamit falls to their knees next to you. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I made a promise. Sorry? No. No, Lumira, this is not... This is not your fault. I was not there. No one could have known. No one... I... I should have known. I wasn't strong enough. The fires, and then they were everywhere, and I couldn't... I couldn't stop it. And even the St. Bloom trees, and the surgeon's moss, and... and... It was... It was that woman. It was... That fire. It wasn't... You. It wasn't me. It was... It was the flame. It was the oil. It was the smoke and the ash. It wasn't you. You... You tried, right? Just like I did. You tried. And I tried so hard, and... But everything's gone. But the gardens, Lumera, the gardens... The gardens are so near and precious to my heart. They always have been. They raised me like a parent. They are like my siblings. But the garden is not the entire wild sea. There is more than just the garden. And I know what the garden would want is for there to be protectors for the verdancy. The rest of their family, they're all connected, Lumira. All of them are connected. When they sing, they sing in a voice of infinite choruses. Their fingers always interlocked, their souls bound into each other, their hearts pumping through the same system. They are connected. When Tilly sings, they sing with the voice of their ashen, dead, taken brethren. But there is still more garden, more garden down there in the wild sea, in the burden sea. There is still more to be protected. 
Your promise has not been broken, Mira. As long as there is still green, your promise still stands. My promise was broken to them. And her eyes are glassy. She looks up amongst the garden to all of the ash and just devastation that was left over. They lost their world because I was not there. How is that fair? I... I... They... They wanted me to give you something. And to meet produces something from the palm of their hand. Something they've been clutching tightly to their chest. And you see a single salvaged piece from the garden. A single blooming orchid. Its petals are a soft, pale pink that reminds you of Sin's eyes. And Tamit says, this is a green speak bloom. It's the same species as the one in my eye. It can help you commune with the plants of the wild sea. If you put it on your tongue, you can speak to them. I want you to have this. The garden would have wanted you to have this. And they reach forward and they press the green speak bloom into your palm. I will honor and cherish this. Thank you. Of course. Lumira, all is not lost. These blooms, these trees, I will mourn them. But there are seeds. This ash, perhaps we can make fertilizer of it yet. I... I have to stay behind here. I have to regrow the garden. I have to take care of the Raya's plants. But you are a traveler. You are a wild sailor. If I plant my rage here, it will have nowhere to grow and it will choke the other things I carry with me. So, Lumira, can you promise me that you will avenge the garden? That you will make sure that whoever did this can never do this ever again. They will never know rest without my wrath. This I can promise you. Thank you. And Lumira, that is when you hear footsteps, muffled by the ash and the smoke and the oily residue in the air around you, but unmistakably footsteps. Emerging from the direction of the banquet hall are the members of your strike team, Zainan, Seir, and Sing. You can hear Sing talking before your strike team sees you, and she's going, she's not here, I just checked, my gut told me she was here, and I swear I could feel her presence, but there was nothing, just fire and smoke and whoa, ash whoa, whoa. and- Lumi! And then Sing cuts off Zainan because she's seen Lumira. She is actually truly seeing Lumira this time, standing, kneeling in the dirt with Tamit Sula. And Sing, bam, she is rushing forward before the rest of Strike Team Nova can even react. And she barrels into you, Lumira, with a massive hug. Lumira, you're here, you're safe. Thank the precepts. It wasn't in her will for me to be lost today, it seems. (laughs) 
Of course, of course it wouldn't be. She, she keeps us safe. She's kept us safe. I, Sayer, Sinan, see, I told you. Lumira wasn't here, but now she's here and that's all that matters. Good to see you. Sayer has, uh, if Sinan so uh, agrees, has Sinan's arm over his shoulder because of the injuries. That Absolutely, yes. <laughs> yeah. And I think witnessing this, he helps Sinan and walk together towards Lumira. And Sayer's eyes are just lit with relief. Like there was a shadowed fear over it, and now he's finally seen light again. And an orchid bud looms right underneath his hair. Zynan leans not extremely heavily on Sayer, but he's definitely limping, and without the help, he would be really slow. So he's very grateful and nods to Lumira and immediately looks over the ash of the garden. But a smile pulls at the corners of his lips. It's weary. But having everyone here heals something on his very injured body. Lumira's smile is tight, pained, almost hurt clothes are singed her hair is curly again and a little bit more white in one area her shirt has been ripped open essentially and the painful like it's almost like a fresh tattoo you know that red inflamed skin that's right on the outside along the edges of it is a cross her chest and she's panting take a second but I think we need your help inside if you've got it in you um no uh and she like discreetly wipes her face and stands up Lumira I have a job Lumira to do what Sinan are you with us you look like you got a little rough you look rough. (laughs) Sit down. Yes, ma'am. And she will pull her hair up into a tight ponytail and she didn't come prepped for any of this shit, but based just like quick little to get you to where I can actually do something type of like healing and stuff is what she will start doing at least applying bandages or something. Mm. Yeah, Lumira, you tie your hair up, seeing kind of parts from where you are. Her uh, hands had been clasped around your face when she, after she pulled away a little bit from the hug, and now her hands lower from your cheeks, but they linger along that strand of white that frames your jaw, like a finger pulls through it gently. And then she also rises as you rise, put your hair up in a ponytail, start striding first toward Zidon, checking him over, and then back in toward the banquet hall to help attend to King Maswu. And as you and your strike team start heading back in, you feel another tug at your periphery. Lumira, glitching on the edges of your vision is the drifter for one last heartbeat, one last infinite moment. For better and for worse, the drifter has pushed you closer to your destiny. 
and then you blink, and in a wisp of smoke, the drifter is gone, washed away with the rest of the billowing ash. This episode was edited by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our original intro theme music is by Jonathan Charles. Transplaner RPG is supported by our incredible Patreon precepts. Folks pledge to our highest tier on Patreon. A massive thank you to Charles, Cora Eckert, Chiacres, Lex Slater, Scruffesis, Hat, Alex, Mark J, Lyle and Peanut, Spencer, Brooke in Seattle, Derek Davidson, Phil, Jordan, Cassidy, and Rose. Pledge to our Patreon today for as little as $3 a month to unlock exclusive news, character sheets, GM notes, and even the chance for your tabletop OC to cameo in our show. Until next time, Transplay Nerds!